Hey, welcome to the Fretboard Confessional. This is Chris McKee. And I'm Cooper Greenberg. We are coming at you from the upstairs of Alamo Music Center in beautiful San Antonio. Although it doesn't look very beautiful right now because the entirety of Main Street in front of our building is destroyed as they are building. Uh, I guess it's called growth and progress right now. It just sounds like you know, a lot of noise with a lot of dust. So, Make room for that new small plates concept. <laughs> all right. How are you doing, Cooper? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm, You're I'm, back, dude. I'm back. I'm over COVID. So yeah, you haven't had it yet, right? Don't knock on don't wood. Jinx me well, like see, that, this dude. is why I ask you because we were in a meeting in this very conference room and we we're going around talking about having COVID. And I said, Yeah, I feel like Neo from the Matrix. I haven't had it yet. And I knocked on wood and then I got it. So this is like IKEA wood, I think. It's not real wood. So that's real There's wood. There's an over exposed there. two by four right there. It's not up to code. Um, so, yeah, you, you were the one. I was the one who opened his mouth at the wrong time and said that, yeah. But so. it was just the agents that got you, dude. <laughs> Mr. McKee. I have no idea where I got it from. I have no idea who I caught it from. Um, but yeah, and it wasn't too bad. I was stuck in an RV playing guitar and trying to work, you know, and watching vacation, lots dude. of Netflix in my backyard. What'd you watch? Uh, let's see. What did I watch? I watched some Peaky Blinders. Uh, I watched a ZZ Top documentary that I told you about, which was yeah. pretty cool. Um craziest thing from that whole documentary that i was telling you about was that evidently that after they kind of had their first big claim to fame an album and a successful concert tour uh they then took like a year off and like you know uh, i think billy was like in europe or asia or something like tripping out and um dusty worked at the airport like it's a normal guy. They got a taste of the ZZ Top. Had to go so, back to the bottom. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, right? I've been watching all sorts of TV and playing guitar. So good to be back. I'm upset you trimmed the COVID beard, though. Yeah, it was getting pretty scraggly though. When it starts going into my mouth, um, or I have to do debate like, is it under the covers or over the covers of the beard? Then <laughs> it's time to trim it for me. Extra snack, dude. Get I got the I, I got the uh, I, I call it the Uncle Sai from yeah from a. Uh, Duck, whatever they're called, the the Duck Dynasty guys. Um, where Duck I, Town. Dude. I have this, I have this weakness in my beard right in the middle of my chin. So if it gets longer, it just grows into the, like this parted, that's dual strand Viking look. beard. So that's, well, that's where beard braiding really came from. Is is people that had to yeah had to do that. So anyway, so fretboard confessional. We're gonna yeah. be talking confessions. I have some questions that I thought of that I wanted to ask you. Okay. All right. Two questions particularly. I want to get your feedback on it. And they're both personal in nature. Oh, yeah. You like it. So the first one is buyer's remorse. Ooh. Okay. I think we've all dealt with it. Yeah. At one time or another. Um, from the other side of things, we see it. We see people order guitars on our website or come in and buy them and then just have regret. Mm-hmm. Decide, no, this wasn't for me. And we have a nice return policy that allows them to, you know, yeah, go. Okay, let me try something else, or, or I maybe we'll not cut out like. to be a musician. Yeah, but I'm curious for you. Um, I've got mine. What is uh, what is your moment of buyer's remorse? That guitar you had to have, yeah, or the amp you had to have, and then it was just like, yeah. You know, for me, that's tough because I've. I mean, I have. It's less like buyer's remorse and more like if I have to sell something, this will be the first one out. Um, I, last year, maybe over a year ago now, um, a fella brought in a Rickenbacker that he traded in for an Ultra Strat. And I was like, man, I got to get that. Because they have preserved some sort of 
mystery behind their guitars. They don't put prices online. That they, they're not many places. And I picked up that guitar, and part of it was just because, you know, I got a good deal on it. It was it's a benefit of being here. Um, I got to pick it up for a pretty good price, and it's not that I have buyer's remorse on it. It's just I can't find many times to use it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's not very comfortable to play. It's a 620, and it's solid body, very small body, and the horn that would go on your knee when you're, you know, or the bottom if you're sitting down. It's not a comfortable guitar to play sitting down. Incredible tone, um, and I really, really like it, and I love looking at it, and I love the sound that it makes, but it's just like, it doesn't hit that for me that it's like, why play this over my telly or my Strat or something? Um, I do like the guitar and I still have it, but I have decided that if the time comes where it's like, I really need to move something to pick up something else, that'll probably be the first to go. And Patrick hates me for saying that because <laughs> I took that guitar from him. He mm-hmm. did not buy it, but that would be the closest thing. I mean, I, I think there's a certain amount of like most of the guitars that I've bought, I've had to really save up for and everything. So I've never had super like disposable income to just like, I'm going to try this one out. And then like, I hate it. Uh, There's been a lot of research and uh, discerning attitude going into buying everything that I've bought, but that would be the closest one. What about you? Well, first of all, I knew you were going to say that one. No, you didn't. I did. Why do you say that? I did. Because I don't know. It's something about it that given your other guitars, it it sticks out in your collection um, as a bit of an oddity. And I haven't seen you play it that much. Yeah. And but I remember when you bought it, and so I kind of wondered, as I asked you that loaded question, mm-hmm. if the Ricky would be on there. But it also brings up part of this question: is is how much do we buy guitars or any gear out of an idea in our head mm-hmm. versus like you articulate with a lot of your other stuff, you know, research and trial, you know, and 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 whatnot. Um, I have one that I still miss, um, and it was a Gibson ES-339. Yeah. Um, it's a little seller's remorse right A there. little bit. I mean, it was buyer's remorse and their seller's remorse, and it's it's one of those things. I think in some ways it's a lot like the Rickenbacker situation mm-hmm. that you've got. I loved this the way it sounded. I loved the way it played, um, and I thought, given you, that you and I share this, you know, uh, fact of being a short shorter statured person that yeah. a 339 would be better than a 335 yeah for me and so i bought it um and and i you know i really loved a lot about it until i started performing with it and then the issue i came into was that the the controls were uncomfortable and I, I i've talked about it before and i just it's one of those things that if you look at a picture of a 339 and you compare it to a picture of a 335 yeah. and you hone in on like this aspect of the controls and the switch mm-hmm. and its proximity to the bridge you get an, a feeling uh visually of how much smaller the 339 is and how much closer yeah. together everything is and so i couldn't get comfortable with basically that the the tail piece um, is right next to the switch, which is right next to the neck volume. 
Yeah. They're like, they're just right there. And it was uncomfortable. Yeah. And I say this owning, like, I have a PRS Santana where that toggle switch is, like, down at the butt of the guitar. Yeah. Which is kind of weird positioning, but it works on yeah. that guitar because it's far enough away. Um, it's kind of like, the, you know, some guys don't like strats because of where positioning is. And that, re- I could not get over it. Yeah. And so I sold it. But I really missed the guitar. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things where I saw a few of those in our store when I was still promoted to customer. Um, <laughs> and I loved them so much. Pat really liked them, too. He would Every time I'd come in, he'd grab it and be like, dude, play this. And I'm like, I've played this every time I've been in here. Um, and it, did, it didn't move super fast. And then we stopped seeing them. And I kind of liked them. You know, they're, yeah. they're really cool. I think everybody goes, I want the 335. And even if it's like a 345 or a 339 or something, they're like, eh. But there's really cool other semi-hollows that need to be considered by people. But what color did you get? It was I, it was a sunburst. Yeah. Um, but I forget what they call it. It wasn't like tobacco burst. It had another name. Yeah. But it basically would like looked like that. Yeah. Those so, are super cool. It was a great guitar. Um, the only thing I did to it was I switched out the tuners to locking tuners. Yeah. Uh, for nothing other than convenience during yeah. string changes um but yeah it was great it was light what kind of locking tuners did you put on? it was grover so it, they were like they were exactly like the tuners that had been on there but yeah with locks you so, should have put the robo on there dude. the robotic no no i have i have taken off gosh i could write a book on how many gibson guitars i took robotic tuners off of it's like you were jailbreaking iphones back in the day dude you know it was interesting so i had heard from people and i don't know what their situation is now but i'd heard from people that had toured the gibson factory years back that they saw guys just kind of like eyeballing um the 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 drill for tuners um not using a jig of any kind um and i guess like you could get away with that i suppose if you had like enough yeah you know experience and they were just individual tuners right Mm -hmm. whatever but uh, you couldn't do that with robotic tuners. And where that came up was I actually I had one customer who wanted to go the other way. He actually wanted the robotic <laughs> tuners put on a Les Paul yeah. because he'd lost his eyesight. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, that should be easy. I've taken off like literally 20, 30 of these yeah. and replaced them with other tuners. So no problem. And then I ran into a major problem because it wouldn't fit. The, yeah. the holes weren't. The holes. weren't consistent and so i couldn't get it on there man anyway. do you remember those days that, i mean so let me ask you something when was the last time you went into the unnamed big box guitar store in san antonio um well okay so we have two next to each other the bigger box i can't remember i went into the smaller big box store um a few years back i needed adapters we didn't have in stock for a new uh, mixing board installation I was doing at our church. And I went in there for them and ran into a former employee of ours and chatted him up and got my uh, my adapters and left and then heard crap from people the next week at work of like, oh, we heard you were in such and such store. And I'm like, seriously, Come I can't on. go into another music store without well, like put being, in a HOSA order. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like being called out yeah. no, the the other big box store i think the last time i was in there i had this distinct conversation with a guy uh, on their staff about a tailor they had uh incorrectly uh marked 
yeah. in a glass case as a custom shop um, that was like Coco Bolo Grand Auditorium with Sinker Redwood. But instead, what was actually hanging there was a grand concert blue with maple. It was like oh the opposite, yeah. and he was, didn't care. And that was That's last time I was there. Um, yeah, I've been, I've gotten into a weird obsession of if I go to a different city, mm-hmm. I like to go secret shop. I mean, it's not a secret because they don't know who I am, but I like to go check out the competition, you know. Yeah. And I went in, into a Houston, um, Qatar, Kenter, and uh, one in Austin. And there was a lot that I was just like, there, so the reason I asked, first of all, was because I remember going in in San Antonio and there being tables upon tables of Robo Tuner Les Pauls. Yeah. Like every single color, every, you know, it was just crazy. It was more Les Pauls in one room than I've ever seen before. Yeah. And they just couldn't move them. And I was like, dude, these are like dream guitars. And then I saw the headstocks and I was like, oh, no. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The last time I went in, it was well, an... You know why they did that? Just to explain. Because they couldn't move them. Well, so there, it was like it was this. It was this perfect storm of failure. Okay, <laughs> um, so Gibson. It was 2015. They decided every guitar was going to have robotic tuners, yeah. even though nobody wanted that. Um, they had Les Paul's signature, his actual signature on the headstock, with 100. Um, and it looked like it was done in crayon. It was a really fat, it, like they should have gotten Les Paul's signature when he was like 30, not when he was 90 or something. Like it just looked a little off. Um, and then they had this hologram sticker on the back of them and they raised their prices by 30%. Like they did all of that at the same time. And so creates demand. <laughs> I don't know what, what the thought process was, but you know, that was under their previous leadership. And the fallout of that was they went bankrupt. The CEO was fired and there was a change of leadership. Um, when Gibson came back out with stuff, they dropped their pricing 30% yeah. uh, or 35%. So it was something ridiculous yeah. like that. And so now you could buy a Les Paul for you know $2,600, not $3,500. Yeah. And that, but saved them. <laughs> you know, certain large music stores had this huge inventory of robotic tuner Les Pauls that yeah. were now. Uh, they were going to lose money on them. Yeah. You know, because their costs had been higher because the retail price had been higher and now it was all lower. So that's that's what yeah, happened in that whole I just debacle. I that. That was crazy. I, so last time I went into one of these stores, it was like complete opposite. But it was just like everywhere in the world right now. You're yeah. lucky if you got one Les Paul yeah. and you, you don't have Gibson Garage on the, on the door. But um, yeah, I was in Austin not too long ago and they had a tailor that was like a brand new tailor. It was the only tailor in the store mm-hmm. and it was the 314 limited with figured, uh, Sapele back mm-hmm. and sides, the limited from like two years ago or something, but that was the only tailor that had, it's like, mm. man, what's going on. But, um, yeah, I like to do that and see what other stores have that we don't because it makes me angry and jealous and I can feel my rage fire. But then also it's, do you ever go through old photos of Alamo music and see the stuff that we had on the wall and yep. get weirded out. Yep. Yeah. I've seen some old videos. There's this, uh, there's an infamous, you can't find it. If you're listening to this, you can't find it on the I know internet. There's an infamous video of Gary, uh, teaching people how to tune a vihuela 
If you want the link, I got the link. It's unlisted, but it's out there. Yeah, we'll send you the link if you email us. It's so, so great. It's accidental comedy. Um, But it's a pretty good, there's a pretty good view in there of uh, different sales staff at the Mm -hmm. time and a different store layout and all sorts of stuff. I watched that video last week and because I do it, you know, pretty regularly. I got an alarm on my phone. Hey, watch that. But uh, we had a bunch of like low end guitars on the highest hook on the wall. Yeah. And there was a Martin D 18 just on a loose stand on the floor. <laughs> I was like, dude, Gary, what are you doing? There? When I first started, uh, there was, uh, so I started in fall of 2013 at yeah. Alma music and, uh, we, we weren't carrying Gibson at the time, um, anymore. And there, we had stag guitars, uh, that there was like a Les Paul knockoff from mm-hmm. stag that Gary used to call the governor after the villain from the walking dead nice that yeah it was that yeah. season of the show i guess uh it was like this, like uh satin finish gray black hardware skull and crossbones it looked like a menacing it's hard you know 299 you know stag les paul the governor and i remember gary was always so excited about that i love gary i had a thought the other day that we should do a bobblehead of gary but it's got to have a sombrero and a vihuela. Yeah, a vihuela and a sombrero and his, you know, his little white goatee and just bobblehead. The fire truck's coming for Gary, dude. <laughs> um, so, one more thing. Do you remember the first video that was released of yours for Alamo Music? Was it the 814 CE? It was 814. I remember everything about that day distinctly <laughs> i don't remember every day at album music that i've worked here but i distinctly remember that whole process were you nervous no um not necessarily i think you know basically i have a job because they wanted to do a youtube channel and i could play guitar moderately well and talk at the same time and uh, I've turned it into a career. Yeah. So, yeah, it was an interesting thing. And I've always given Patrick a hard time because he was behind the camera making an artistic choice of, like, just not knowing how focus worked. Oh, man. I watched that one the other day, too. The focus work is... Uh, he promises that he was doing that on purpose. It's horrible. And I don't believe him. I think he didn't know how really the camera bad. worked. Um, but, yeah, I watched a lot of those old videos. And it's just funny because there are so, so many other people, too, you were the constant and then there was like random folks here and there that would jump in one of them being me and then made a career out of it there you go (laughs) so you know going back to what you're talking about with big box stores and our initial discussion about you know having buyer's remorse one of the reasons I, i brought that up and i was curious what you've experienced what i've experienced is i do have this this feeling that as more and more music retail moves online Mm -hmm. that that's going to be a more common situation Mm -hmm. you know i i think one of the reasons we've had success and a lot of people like watching our videos on youtube is that we give our honest opinion we play these guitars we try our best to demonstrate what the guitars actually will sound like you know uh what they will feel like and so forth but and that's great i don't think anything replaces like actually playing it mm-hmm. and then there's just the the add-on truth that playing it in a store is very different and playing it at home is very different from yeah. playing it in a performance um and that's that's where i always ended up with trouble with my you know that es335 that or 339 that i just could not 
make the jump with. And I've had other stuff like pedals. Oh, yeah. this will be the bee's knees. And then I had a really complicated tremolo pedal from, um, oh, Electro Harmonics. Mm-hmm. It's like the super pulsar tremolo pedal. Yeah. And it's a really cool pedal. And it's not an inexpensive pedal. And Josh and I both bought one when they first came out. And then I realized I used like one setting yeah. <laughs> on this extremely complicated tremolo pedal. Yeah, my my version of that is I love fuzz pedals and I've bought several. And unfortunately, they, like I'll get into a band setting. I had a song that we did that was like the closer at a show, massive wall of fuzz when we recorded it. And it was just me and Tommy. Um, in the studio and we had like a Marshall head on an orange cab and I had stacked fuzzes and then we doubled that with like um, like a rat and like I mean it was like this wall of sound kind of thing yeah really really fun to record because it was just like let's make chaos but it was still pretty and melodic and then we played it live and you know we'd done it at low volume in uh, our rehearsal space and then we were at the show, and I was like, here it comes. Here's this boutique fuzz masterpiece. And I kicked it on, and it was dropped the volume by about 30%, and it was extremely thin. And I was like, oh, what I need to do is I need to boost it with my tube screamer. <laughs> and then it was like a mid-range mess of mud, and it sounded like pure trash. So expectation... Wall of sound reality. Yeah, it was really rough. And I ended up just like trying to play into it and being the guy that like kneels down at the pedal board and makes a bunch of noise. It's like, this is art. It was not art. Um, <laughs> You're trying to be that guy. You know, that guy that's like, I know you, that guy. yeah, when you finish. I've been that guy. Yeah. When you finish a song and you like put your guitar on the stand, but leave it ringing with the pedals and you're like, <laughs> you mess with the delay, you turn it R2D2 over there. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a thing where I was like, man, I if I'm ever going to buy a pedal again, I got to make sure that it sounds good with other people and with my other pedals. Yeah. But it's a good yeah. lesson. Yeah. So all right, we've talked about buyer's remorse. We've talked about some of your and mine experience mm-hmm. uh working in this industry that we work in. So I have a question for you and this is my my other personal question for you. Is if you can, I'd like you to articulate the thing that has surprised you the most now being on the other side of the curtain and working in music retail mm. with various companies and instruments and so forth versus when you were a customer and you'd come in the store and you'd play stuff. Yeah. I think uh, there's a couple things. One of which being that the reps for our companies aren't like elusive rock stars. <laughs> they're just normal people that like have jobs. That's their job. jobs. <laughs> and they're, they're just, you know, they're, most of the time nice and want to hang out and they're normal people and stuff. But I think if I came in as a customer and you told me, you know, I'm, I'm getting lunch today with a guy named JR. He's a, he's our rep from Taylor and you know, he lives in California. I'd be like, Oh my God, this guy's a legend. Superstar. And he's probably like, I could, I could never talk to that guy. He probably is, knows so many rock stars and he probably acts like one and he, all this stuff. And then you meet JR and he's like, what's up, dude? And he's like the funnest person to hang out with. But I would have pictured him in my head as like impossible to get a hold of. It it blows me away how much you can just call up somebody at a company and be like, hey, can we get some of this? And they're like, yep, enjoy. And then it's good to go. 
um, obviously it's not that simple. You know, we're working hard over here to yeah. get the deal done. But that's one thing is how many people that I would expect to be high profile are just normal people. Um, the other is I'm sure I know you probably came into Alamo having the some of the most like initial knowledge about mm-hmm. guitars and instruments and stuff. But just how much you learn like through osmosis of just being around, reading spec sheets, watching other videos, but just playing guitars. Like this is, we have probably played more guitars than most people alive just by getting to test out everything, go to shows and all that. Um, And I used to watch videos and hear people, even in the pro audio side, like talking about crazy specs or inner workings of synthesizers and stuff and be like, man, I'll never know what they're talking about. But you just start picking stuff up and now I feel like I've learned more about guitars just being around mm-hmm. than I ever could just like reading books and reading stuff online. Um, those have been things that have surprised me. Also, last thing, um, how you can order a $5,000 guitar and it comes in and it's broken and you have to send it back. And like you think as a customer that like, Oh, somebody treated this like the Holy grail. Right. But for a lot of people, it's just stay at their job and they might scuff up a top and then it's, Oh, he's got to send it back. You know, I got to tell you <clears throat> on that note, um, I just, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just being honest with my, uh, my visceral reaction to some of this stuff we'll go to guitar shows and it's not every every company but uh there's certain guitar stores they'll set up a booth uh i've even seen it on tiktok videos they literally do the white glove treatment mm-hmm. they unpack everything and they take the guitars out with white gloves so that they don't put their their oily fingerprints on them yeah um, and I always think about like, okay, nobody at the factory just did some man or woman at the did. factory like had a cigarette in one hand and put this SG two hundred into the case of the other hand. My favorite like irreverent moment was I, I think it was on Anderton's. Uh, I'm pretty sure Paul Paul Reed Smith was on the video with him, mm. and he was taking these just super high dollar like private stock guitars that they had, and he was ripping off this the, like PRS put this little kind of like foam wrapper around the neck and the strings mm-hmm. and that's how you know yeah, this guitar hasn't been played and some people get so uptight about that like it's no longer a new guitar and paul knows that and he yeah. was poking fun at it by ripping them off on video and saying oh now some people are going to tell you it's not a it's not a new guitar and oh, i gosh. i find that irreverence hilarious yeah so but yeah i'm not down with the whole white glove treatment the white glove treatment it's like yeah it's tough because that's heartbreaking when you've been waiting on a guitar for a year yeah, and it comes in and it's like, man, you got to send us another one. They're like, no. Um, but yeah, what about you? What, like, say in the first couple of years that you work in here, what was the biggest eye-opening surprise? So the first one was a personal recognition that I no longer had the same... Um, enjoyment or urge to go to music stores. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, prior to working in one, I would go, like, you'd make a weekend out of it. Yeah. Like, I, my brother-in-law and I would be like, hey, next weekend you want to go hit a bunch of different guitar shops. Um, and I, you know, 
I'd no longer have that urge. Now, like you, if I'm in a different city, I'd like to go yeah. check out independent shops. Like, I love going to Carter Vintage and Groons and uh, Corner Music and stuff like that yeah. if I'm in Nashville. Um, and there's places that, like, I know the guys. Like, I'd like, love to go visit Paul at Music Villa up in Bozeman, Montana. For yeah. so many reasons. Paul's great. The store's great. Bozeman's great. Like, there's so many reasons Beautiful I want to go place up there. in the yeah. country. Hop over to the acoustic factory. You know. Yeah. But local, like just in general, I no longer wake up on a Saturday and go, you know, I want to go to Alamo music. To, to, <laughs> right. I don't want to go play guitars in, in, in some yeah. room. Um, so that was an interesting thing. Um, and kind of along those lines, I've had to recognize that there's a familiarity that takes place. So, you know, I, I think you, you were kind of talking about this. You, you learn so much, particularly with what you and I do. We play so many different guitars that when we do something like a blind test, uh, something that I really would have thought was impossible yeah. uh, years ago is not or is, is more possible um, because familiarity. Yeah. Um, the problem with familiarity is it can take the specialness out of things. Mm-hmm. And I actually guard against that because I really love guitars. I love playing guitar. I'm fascinated with the instruments themselves. And I don't want to lose that kind of childlike wonder, mm-hmm. you know, because of familiarity. And that's a that's that's a real task at times. For sure. Um, because, to your point, we'll get in something real expensive and... Sometimes I I don't feel excitement about it. It's like, oh, it's just another thing. Usually when I'm overworked and stressed out. I will say, though, like, there are certain things. I feel like maybe some of the wonder gets stripped away, but it also helps you be more discerning of, like, this is something What's really special. special. So yep. you can't say first time you played the 914C limited or AMC exclusive. Yeah. That you weren't just like, oh my god, you know. Yeah, it's a good point. The things that now get me the most excited are the things that are the most different and unique, and surprising. Yeah. Like uh, Taylor doing those eighty twenty seven flame tops. Super cool. Was exciting because everything I'd ever you know read and studied and understood about a solid wood acoustic guitar said that shouldn't work, mm-hmm. and it works. And so that was surprising. Um, Getting Martin Custom Shops, and I've talked about it, like those are special guitars. Yeah, I'll put them up against any boutique Martin copy. Period. Their, their custom shop is is phenomenal. Um, so those are always special. So yeah, I mean you find that thing. But what would have been special to me ten years ago, um, that's kind of become run of the mill is, is a fact of life. BC Rich Warlock. <laughs> I think that I'll I'll leave you with a third one. I think the third thing that has surprised me is that there are companies that knowingly engage in kind of snake oil tactics Mm -hmm. to sell stuff. Like they know some feature or benefit that they're trying to tout isn't really anything. Yeah. It's really just all marketing. And then there's other companies that really don't engage in that at all. Um, And so it's, it's been interesting and I'm not going to name what companies or what you, I'll leave that up to your imagination, but it, it has been interesting to, you know, because of experience and familiarity yeah. and inside knowledge, look at what goes on in our industry and be able to go, Oh yeah, those guys are really passionate, really care, you know, really want to make something good. And those guys 
are just trying to market stuff and see if you'll buy it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good one. Anywho. Well, I got one thing that I want to throw out there before we're done. Um, and I, I figure it's worthwhile because we are talking about it this morning. Um, this is a PSA to any listeners. Don't buy a guitar that doesn't have a serial number on it. <laughs> so we got some guy coming to the store, and he was probably tricked by somebody else. You hope. Yeah, you hope so. I mean, he was trying to trade in a few guitars that, you know, in pictures on the phone, like, they looked fine. But what he said they were, there were supposed to be some vintage Gibsons. Um, and the story was, yeah, the serial number is not legible, but this is from such and such year. It's in near mint condition. And uh, we kind of have the the policy, more or less, like, hey, sorry, we're not going to buy anything without serial number. I feel like that's pretty commonplace at pawn shops and music stores all around the world. But if you got a really good deal on a... 59 Les Paul on Craigslist and it doesn't have a serial number uh, and it looks obviously fake, do not buy it. Well, I can tell you, here, here's here's a top tip of things to look at based upon what this guy came in. Um, I knew immediately the inlays are wrong. Mother Pearl doesn't look like that. The logo is wrong. The tuners are wrong. The pickups are wrong. The, pickups the knobs are wrong. are wrong. The tailpiece is wrong. It was like an ES-175. Yeah. Um, the, you can look up the... That one had, an, uh, I think, a serial number. You can look it up. And it was a different guitar built in the 90s in Gibson's factory, so it didn't match the guitar. Um, but I've had to be the guy tell a guy... Yeah, sometimes you don't get a good deal. I had to tell a guy once that the Martin that he bought for $3,000 was fake. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's just there's way too much info online that you can cross-reference with. You can look up any manufacturer's serial number decoder, and you can look up examples of that same guitar from that year. Everything's pretty well documented. Do a little research before spending $1,000 on a 59 Les Paul. <laughs> if something feels wrong and it looks a little wrong, walk away. It's a BC Rich Warlock. <laughs> That's a good PSA to, to, to yeah. close things out. So Be safe out there. Yeah, thanks for listening. Catch us on YouTube and uh, subscribe to this podcast and come in and see us the store and see us sometime. We are normal people working jobs and we're glad to visit with you. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll check you next time. Bye.